0: This is Farm to Tabor, and we're in part two of a two-parter with Joe Swartz, hydroponics coach based in Amherst, Massachusetts, and VP with California-based American Hydro. He's been serving us some decades in the business realness, and we are coming back for more. Oh, something I want to revisit really quick. So you mentioned um, some of those additional causes of why mm-hmm. plants can, can turn out tasting funny or weird from hydroponics, especially if it's not run oh, right. Sure. Yeah, so kind of the, maybe you have some classic examples. The big one I, I kind of come home to all the time is kind of bland tomatoes. And yes. a big reason for that is in hydroponics, because you have a little bit more control over the environment, you can kind of um, make sure that your plants are always properly hydrated. You know, like we're always supposed to drink water so we can stay healthy. So in hydro, they're doing that. You know, you don't have the soil dry out between waterings. But what that means is the tomato fruit are also very well hydrated. Uh, <laughs> they're kind of watery, and that's a big part of why they turn out bland. And they found some good ways to counteract that. You know, like um, if it's about to be harvest time, you lengthen out your watering cycle, or sometimes people will increase the salt content of the that's solution. Correct. Yeah, so the plant's a little bit dehydrated, and it winds up concentrating the flavor in the fruit. But because these growers are being paid by the pound, they had zero incentive to maximize flavor, but only weight. And so it sounds like a hydroponics problem, but it's really a human systems problem. And <laughs>
1: That's is, that is absolutely correct.
0: Yeah, and like we blaming the technology is, is kind of backwards for that.
1: Sure. Yeah, we found out quite by accident probably almost 20 years ago we had a a a pump failure that some of our cucumbers just prior to harvest you know the pump went down Mm. the plants became slightly dehydrated and wilted Mm -hmm. and they were the, by far the best. They were beta, our New with Beta Alpha cucumbers, mm. and they were the best cucumbers we had ever had. Ooh. And so we, 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 like I said, it was you know, and that that's one of the greatest uh, teachers is the, the greatest successes that we have as growers come from our biggest accidents. They Happy do, accidents and the, and the greatest <laughs> knowledge. And so we started to yeah do exactly what you what you said. We we started changing our irrigation cycles, and we also started increasing the EC, the electrical conductivity of our nutrient solution. Uh, most sophisticated tomato and cucumber growers do that now all the time. Yeah, it's kind of um, standard now. And, and again, and, and as you you're you're one hundred percent correct in that it's a growing technique. It's again, it's another one of those horticultural skills that we are looking, you know, to use to develop. And I hear people talking all the time, um, well, we have a growing system that will, you know, will grow the better quality plants than a human. You know, <laughs> those are subtleties that we just don't have yet right. in, the, in the technology, and, and I don't know if we will, but, but certainly those kinds of things, obviously there's a lot of great work being done in plant genetics coming up with uh, varieties, you know, the the consumer is becoming far more sophisticated and demanding, you know, higher quality. You know, a lot of produce for many years was based on aesthetics. Mm -hmm. We're we're looking for the biggest, reddest tomato. Well, we've moved beyond that now, and consumers want the more flavorful tomatoes. And and all of those factors go into, again, not only adjusting our, our... our production techniques, but also our shipping and logistics, you know, harvesting crops um, closer to the point of consumption at a more ripe stage to give a better flavor, Mm -hmm. utilizing improved varieties to get a better flavor. All of those things, those are going on all the time now. And in my opinion, those are some of the most exciting technological advancements. I'm not as interested in uh, a hydroponic system that puts – plants on what look like a merry-go-round and spin them around the growing <laughs> yeah. area, yeah. Um, but rather the advancements and the tools to grow better crops.
0: Right. Well, and I think a really great example of kind of the, again, the human factor in something as simple as, you know, changing your irrigation cycle right before you pick is, you know, in a greenhouse, you may have a sunny day or you may have a cloudy day. So if it's sunny, the plants are going to dehydrate faster than if it were cloudy, Uh, Your temperature can be an influence. Um, If you have a fan or two down, then that is going to change how fast they're going to dehydrate. And if I'm not mistaken, you know, dehydrated plants can get stressed and they're more prone to disease. So you want to get them stressed for just long Mm -hmm. enough and then end it. But how long you you need it to last is going to depend on maybe what your picking crew complement looks like that day, which you don't have a lot of control over. So if you find that five people are supposed to come in and only three are there, you may need to turn on a dime. And I guess you could program that all in, but a lot of it's really just by like when you live with plants long enough you get a feel for how much you can get away with before you have problems and how to time things.
1: Yeah. And I'm only laughing because everything you just described, we've we've had happen to us. <laughs>
0: right. Many times. These are really yeah, common problems.
1: Yeah, they really are. They're they're universal. I've been really literally all over the globe. And the challenges that growers have and the and the successes that they have are very, very universal, and mm-hmm. and it's it's very interesting to see how that you know kind of plays out, and um, and and many many different you know challenges that we have here in the States, they're dealing with in Australia or northern you know Europe, so so there's a lot to be said for. Uh, when when growers get together, you know they, they speak kind of the way we're talking now. Is that we hear a lot of the a lot of the same problems and and we get a lot of creative solutions as well.
0: Yeah, that's red. Yeah, it's always kind of interesting. It seems like every time you build a greenhouse, there's a month or two of kind of like tuning in. Like, okay, how does this one behave? Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah.
1: We do a lot with our grower training, and that's one of the things that I've spent. It's, it's In fact, it's what actually many years ago as a grower pushed me into becoming a consultant,
0: yeah. is
1: that there was so little knowledge out there in the industry in general, like in terms of, you know, to, to hire a consultant or to get advice from someone. There was very little practical, real experience out there. Yeah. And one of the things that we, we push a lot, are our company and Hydro, we do a lot of grower training. We have grower seminars. And one of the big things we're always telling people is to get out there every day in your greenhouse, mm-hmm. in your grow room, touch the plants, go through the crops, mm-hmm. connect with them, you know, spend 10 minutes doing <laughs> a crop check every morning. And it tells you so much and it gives you um, so much valuable feedback. And, again, not, uh, there, there's a lot of value, especially with an environmental control systems. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of data coming at you all the time that you can, you know, you can see real time and you can make decisions based on that. But there's really no substitute for getting out in the greenhouse or getting out in your crop and and seeing what's going on.
0: Yeah. And as somebody told me this saying back in the day that I will never forget, you know, they said um, English farmers go out to visit their fields. German farmers work all day in their fields. Dutch farmers sleep in their fields. And that was kind of their interpretation. It's like, it's a saying. And that was their interpretation yeah. of why the yield in Holland is so much better than, than Germany and way better than England at that time when, when that saying was coined. Yeah. Was just that That's it was,
1: excellent.
0: yeah, just that it was considered normal to spend a lot of time personally with your crop and, and kind of having that personal knowledge of what's going on as opposed to kind of delegating it to people who don't have a lot of decision-making authority. Um yeah. So if you're going to manage one of those, you need to be personally involved, you know?
1: Absolutely. All of the best growers I've ever worked with all have that same mindset is that, you know, the, the plants are their babies and they know what's going on here or there or what's going on with this crop or that crop. They're always very, very connected and very engaged. Yeah. I like that expression. I'm, I'm going to
0: use that. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea where it came from. I just heard it from some, like, crotchety old professor one day, and I was like, huh. And then, you know, <laughs> you spend more time in ag, and you're like, my God, it's true.
1: Yeah. A lot of old farming expressions. I mean, I'm a fourth-generation farmer, so I grew up around so many of these cliché expressions. But the longer I live, the more of them become <laughs>
0: true. Yeah, that's so funny. Um yeah, so you're talking about growers and how they just kind of like connect at some kind of like spiritual level with what they're doing. There was a, a guy I ran into and he wasn't actually he wasn't a greenhouse guy. He was a fish farmer. Um, uh-huh. So this is if you think it's tough to get good greenhouse people, getting good in tank aquaculture people is like 10 times worse, right? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, because it's such a new field. And uh, so this guy's one of them. And the first few times I met him, it was while this project he was with was under construction. So he didn't have any fish to hang out with at the time. And he was just this cranky dude. And I just thought that's like who he was. The next time I see him, we're on site and they've got, you know, like three or four month old fish swimming around in the tanks. And he's just like the happiest dude. He's like, here's my fish. Here's our pump. We're doing great. I was like, oh, my God. He's just like a fish dad. And he needed his fish back.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, real growers, and it can be crop growers, uh, aquaculture people, doesn't matter. I know people who are growing mushrooms, mm-hmm. who just, they're connected with, again, mm-hmm. these are living systems, and, mm-hmm. and and regardless of what you're growing, you're growing, and the process is still, there's so much overlap, and it, it takes a special kind of person.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it just kind of takes that attentiveness. And, uh, and we keep saying this over and over again, but there's really just no substitute for that.
1: Yeah, no, no, certainly not.
0: Yeah, and it, it's not like in a woo-woo kind of way, but it's like you need to have the eye to see things before they really become a problem. And just kind of you need to know what normal looks like. I think there was a there was somebody who is an anti-counterfeit money specialist, and they could just you know look at a bill and kind of tell instantly if it was real or not. And they were like, how do you do it? you must look at a lot of fake bills to know what, you know, what they look like. And he said, no, I just, I just spend a lot of time looking at real money. (laughs) So when something's wrong, it just jumps right out of you. And I feel like that's a big part of it is you just need to do the time so you can know what the right thing looks like.
1: Absolutely. You develop an intuition and Mm -hmm. it's not something that can be taught. It's something that you really have to develop.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, It's kind of funny because our sensory system is just kind of developed based on feel. Like we look at something and we can kind of tell it doesn't feel right, but we don't exactly know why. Um, Right. You'll get that a lot with CGI animation, actually. Um, Like it just doesn't quite look real. And that's because there's so many like micro shadows and like wind rustles and everything. And our brains pick up on that. And we can tell it's not quite real. And so a lot of the sensing that you have to do in horticulture is it's cues that we don't even necessarily have quantified yet. So you can't build a sensor for them. Uh, (laughs) So it's really, it's really just a lot of it's based on intuition, unfortunately. And because we haven't quantified it, we can't build sensors for it.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I know so many growers that, you know, spend a lot of time in the greenhouse and they can literally walk in and they can smell a problem. And, right. you know, you, you jokingly, you know, use that as kind of a metaphor and say, like, you know, something doesn't smell right. It's like, you know, you do. can You can smell a problem. Yeah. Um, there There's just certain sensory cues that you, know, you can't really quantify or you can't explain, mm-hmm. but are there. And, yeah. and I think that's one of the beauties of the industry, too. I mean, like I said, as a, as a longtime grower, it's something that I love. It's one of the, the more fascinating pieces of this industry that uh, I wish more people would uh, would would develop and and enjoy
0: yeah well there's there's actually something funny there's a really amazing workplace safety podcast called pre-accident investigation so i have an interview every week with you know an expert um it's often somebody who's in charge of health and safety in a big industrial organization and they talk about how they you know enact safety in the organization a lot of it's training training people what to look out for and it always ends with (sighs) You know, here's what to look for, but also if something just doesn't feel right, stop the line, you know? Yeah. And that's a difficult thing to train people on because you have to know what right feels like. And people have to have been around long enough that they feel confident that when they feel something isn't right, there's a reason. Um, but even in big money industrial safety, that's the watchword is if something doesn't feel right, you stop, which is fascinating. Yeah. Sidebar. I think what I was trying to say here was if the tech industry is so confident that they can make AI that sophisticated, if it can do root cause analyses, open-ended lateral thinking, and work around people's schedules, then why are we talking about using it to replace workers? We should be using it to replace management. Their salaries are more expensive anyway. And honestly, I just think about if you could make an AI that is built by workers for workers, that comes preloaded with the best practices and worker safety and realistic expectations of how much work can be done in an hour, and it can't be derailed by office politics, and it can't violate any of those best practices, that sounds so much better than working for most human beings. But we never talk about AI for that. Only for replacing workers, which is so interesting to me. Anyway, back to Joe. Intuition, I mean, that's
1: something with... With technological advances, I, I, I'm concerned sometimes with people disconnecting from intuition. But, yeah. you know, that's that's really one of our most valuable tools.
0: Right. And then, you know, you get new tools and you have to kind of retrain your intuition on how this thing works and what normal is supposed mm-hmm. to feel like. And it's fine. You know, you can you can yeah. use all those tools. You just have to understand them well enough to use them right.
1: Correct. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Cool. All right. Yeah, That's so that's about... Uh, the feelings with the plants, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Um, I got to head out of here uh, within the next five minutes or so, but any thoughts that you want to pull out before we head out?
1: Um, Just, I think, kind of overriding, um, because this is something that I'm asked to speak about, and this is something that I encounter every day. Um, In fact, I've already had uh, four four phone calls this morning from people looking for information about indoor vertical farms. Mm-hmm. Now, the technology used in something like that, there are applications for it, mm-hmm. but still already a kind of connect, and I think it's an emotional attachment to a certain technology because it appeals to them. It looks mm-hmm. cool. It sounds interesting. Um, I really would like to see more conversation in the industry about the farming practices, the horticultural practices, and 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 finding—you know—we have tremendous technological advancement. We have better tools available to us than ever in our history, mm-hmm. and so we need to to look at what we need and what these technologies can do for us, and then appropriately apply the right technologies, not just kind of throw one technological combination out there um, as kind of the, the be-all end-all. Right. Uh, very much to what you and I've talked about and what you have said is that this is farming, it is horticulture, and it is a living, breathing organism. And we're never going to replace it with Mm -hmm. just a single paradigm, but we are going to improve our technology, excuse me, our production based on technologies. So it's just a matter of, I always have an expression I like to use on social media is that those who fail to focus on the plants, Will soon be surpassed by those who do.
0: Right, and, I almost, yeah. And Dude. I have no idea yeah. how
1: I came up with that, but it just <laughs> popped out. And, and it really kind of kind of embodies my philosophy that is, regardless of how we do it, that's that's not irrelevant, but it's almost irrelevant. It's it's what we do, yeah. and the technologies will change, but what we do never does. Yeah. The parameters for proper plant growth are unbreakable, unchangeable laws. Yeah, and we need to understand that,
0: right? Yeah, I almost feel like when you're trying to figure out how to grow something, like your loyalty really has to be to the plant, not the machine. Like that's that's going to guide you to giving the plants what they need, and that's really the only thing that matters here. Yep,
1: and I see a lot of investment. Um, Bowery Farm just received a ninety million dollar investment. Plenty Farm has received over two hundred forty million, and. And I don't see much future for that, those systems simply because they're, they're not focused on the plant. They're focused on a, a singular technology or a singular combination of technologies that, again, is not serving the horticultural end. And so, you know, the, you, know you can look at, at the history over the past few years or the past 50 years, and you can see very distinctly pattern and failures. And they, the failures are always based, always based. Mm-hmm. On the improper application
0: of technologies. Right. It's just really unfortunate that that's how you get investment is by inventing a new technology because, <laughs> you yeah. know, like the the no, fundraising, really- yeah, the fundraising, like the business model you need to fundraise successfully and the business model you need to grow successfully are completely at, at odds with each other, which is amazing.
1: Yeah, it, it most certainly. Is. It's very frustrating.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of parts of these individual farms that I like. So working with a lot of indoor farms, I'll kind of go, well, I like this part of this system and that part of that system. Um, but I yeah. don't know that they're ever going to decide to collaborate in that kind of way. So we'll see how that goes.
1: Certainly. It's going to be very interesting to see how things play out over the, over the next few years.
0: Either. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, you know, I've worked with a lot of them, so I, I can't really say like, Oh, these guys are going to win or those guys are going to win because it has so much, uh, it's, it's so much more about, um, there's a lot of factors that I definitely have my opinions on the growth systems, but I'm not here to do their, their publicity. So I <laughs> will <laughs> keep that to myself. Certainly. So, but yeah, have had, have had some really good experiences. have had some really interesting experiences. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how yeah. this all shakes out. It's
1: going to be a fun ride.
0: Yeah, it will. Well, Hey, it's been fun. Thank you so much for your time. I think this is going to be really useful for folks and I think it's going to be really fun. So, um, Again, thanks, and we'll see you around.
1: You're very welcome, and thanks for the time, sir. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, you too. Enjoy.
1: Excellent. Have a great day. Thanks,
0: you too. Bye. That was so cool. The NASCAR community talks a lot about the fusion between human and machine, and that's kind of how greenhouses work. You feel your plants at this instinctual level, and you make split-second real-time decisions with your tools to keep them happy. And they smell so good. I miss greenhouses so much. Joe is great, super knowledgeable, and you can find him on Twitter at at hydro consultant. You can also subscribe to farm to Tabor on iTunes, SoundCloud, or come find us on Patreon for bonus content. Special thanks to Nat Weiner for sound design.